You're listening to Enduring Essentials Self-Awareness. How do I become more self-aware as an educator? This is episode seven of the Educators for Impact podcast. This episode was recorded on July 18th, 2020. This podcast is all about shining a light on educators as people. Through exploring, examining, and uplifting the experiences of educators, we hope to leave a lasting impact on the students, families, and communities we are called to collaborate with. During this episode, we will discuss what self-awareness is and how teachers can become more self-aware, not only as people, but as educators. Hello again to all our listeners out there. Once again, my name is Michelle, and I'm a middle school teacher in the Bronx, New York. And I'm going to pass the mic to my wonderful co-host, Kay Jones. Hello, everyone. It's good to be talking with you all again. I'm a community professor in Sacramento, California, so way over here on the West Coast, while Michelle is way over there on the East Coast. I currently teach social work and human service courses, and I have a previous kind of teaching experience at both the uh, middle and high school levels and graduate level as well. I was her student, one of her best students, her premier students in high school. <laughs> I love the way that people rewrite history, but okay. Oh, revisionist? Really? Me? So, you know, Ms. Jones and I have been down for about 20 years now, and we were discussing before we recorded this episode, like a time when she allowed me to have two seats in her classroom. And I thought that was like the most power you could give a restless child ever. And I just remember floating across the room to my other seat and her just being like, sis, you got about 10 seconds to get to that seat. You're going way too slow. So I just have all these like this string of memories with Miss Jones back, you know, Kalinda, before I could call her Kalinda, you know, it was Miss Jones. And then uh, I remember like when I graduated, you were like, you can call me Kalinda now. I was like, nah, you still Miss Jones. And so it took some years for me to actually. Years. Yeah, some it took years. a couple years, but neither, that's neither here nor there. But I just remember that it was a great teaching strategy. So all you teachers out there, for if you have students who are um, like squirrely, as I call them sometimes, give them an extra seat across the room and just let them like kind of bounce between the, between the seats. So I'm just going to go ahead and head into the quote of the day. If you don't understand yourself, you don't understand anybody else. And that is from Nikki Giovanni. And when I think about her quote, I'm thinking about the time that it takes to get to know yourself. This is not a wake up. And I know me perfectly. This is an ongoing process when you are saying, I'm going to stop, reflect, and get to know who I am and how I relate to others and the world. So I really appreciate this quote. So Kay Jones is going to ask today's like question or talk a little bit about self-awareness. what self-awareness yeah. is. Let's go. I think it's important when we talk about self-awareness that we kind of put this in. If you've been listening to our podcast, we talked about authenticity and we talked about reflective practice and self-awareness is a piece of that as well. I think that using reflective practice helps us get to our real or authentic selves. And Carl Rogers is a theorist in the world of psychology who I really appreciate. He spent a lot of time talking about the goal of creating the right relational environments so that we can be our authentic selves. And part of being our authentic self is coming to know our authentic self as we kind of excavate that in our lives. So when we're talking about self-awareness in these next three episodes, we're going to be talking kind of holistically or broadly about self-awareness. I'm going to encourage our audience members and ourselves to keep true to the idea that 
as educators, we look inward to ourselves before we look outward to look at other people to look for change. And in order to look inward, the question sometimes becomes like, what am I looking at? What am I paying attention to? Well, some is, is knowledge. Like, what are your values and beliefs? Some is what are you feeling emotionally in the moments? What are your strengths? What are your areas for growth? What are those areas that it feels like may never change and grow? I have some of those. What is your cultural identity in multiple ways? Race is a piece of that and gender and sexual orientation and all of those pieces of cultural identity come into play. And a really big question that we'll be exploring more in our next episode is how are we doing? How does self-care intersect with this? So self-awareness is holistic, it's broad, and it's essential. It's one of those enduring essentials that no matter where we are, we take ourselves as educators in the class. So what I'd like to ask Michelle is, can you tell us a little bit about how self-awareness intersects with your work as an educator? Absolutely. For me, I, I have to go back to passion planning, right? And so for all my passion planners out there, my bullet planners out there, this episode is for you. You got to tell me what passion planner is. Okay. So a passion planner is just a planner where you not only like you organize your day, but you spend a lot of time thinking about your goals and your dreams. And so you do all this like pre-work. The pre-work can't be intense. It's about 20 pages at the beginning of the planner where you're setting up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but like it helps you really think beyond your day to day. Right. And so I started passion planning because I I have not been a person who organizes my time really well. And I knew that I needed to start managing my time better because I was going into grad school and starting to have like all these other responsibilities. And so I, I loved really organizing my day, organizing my time. But what, what I loved most was sketching, right? So if I had like a doctor's appointment or like a, a dentist appointment, I would draw like a little tooth or something. Like just like, just, you know, just really being creative with it. And it helped me bring that skill into my classroom. So a strength that I have is like being an artist and like sketching and like really communicating through creative outlets, like drawing. And so the passion planner like helped bring that back out in me. And I was like, okay, I want to do more of this in my classroom. And for example, when I would teach the five senses, like adding your five senses to your writing, then we would sketch like a little eyeball, we would sketch like an ear or a tongue for taste. And so really just giving kids visuals for the skills that I wanted them to show in their writing. And so I loved it. And it was like a part of me being like, this is a part of who I am. I'm an artist, I'm a sketcher. And like, I'm aware that this is a strength of mine. Therefore, I want to bring that strength into my classroom. And, you know, of course, my kids loved it. You know, like, could you show me that again? And, or they, or honestly, they, they would start showing me how to do things. So if I drew an emoji and they liked the emoji, like, would you have you drawn it like this? Or they would like show me how to draw like really cool hair on the emoji. I was like, oh, snap. Like, I didn't know you could do all that. So it became like, I feel like other kids were starting to show like their strengths in drawing and sketching as well. And because, you know, I teach younger kids. So, you know, a lot of them are still really into it. And so it brought that like level of engagement. However, for administrators, and you'll see this is a pattern with me. I'm always getting a little side conversation like, sis, you know, that's not really what we do here. But I was just like, mm. Is this your version of getting sent to the principal's office? Yeah, but they don't really do that too much anymore. The principal usually comes to you. You know, there's no, you know, they usually come to pull up on you like, yeah, you need to, you know, so, 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 switch it up. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, okay. I said, I always listen. But I, I may listen with a little tinge of attitude or a little like a tinge of like little, oh, can you hurry up with this critique? 
And, you know, I would continue to teach. Like, I would continue to teach or show kids how to sketch things. And the administrators did not like it? No, they did not. They said that it was wasting time and that I needed to stop, like, showing them how to do things. I just would have to, like, they said I should just put it in, underneath the document camera and walk away and leave it up there for a certain amount of time. But they would, like, ask, like, how do I do that? And I'd be like, I'd be like I don't know. And so I like that little, like, and then a lot of schools don't have art. Like we don't have art at my mm. school. So for those kids who like to engage in artistic practices, that there is no space in my school for that. So it was a piece of that too. But I just continued to, to do it. And I made the choice, like, you know what, either you're going to stop or you're going to keep doing it. And I was like, I'm just going to keep doing this because it's a part of who I am. It's a part of like what I believe is a strength in the classroom. And so, you know, a really, really cool thing happened a couple of days ago, actually. Um, Edutopia released an article about the power of drawing, having kids draw over take notes. And they talked about how it hits on all styles of learning. And I was like, so excited. I was like, yes, this is what I've been doing. And it just felt really good to have some brain science behind it. And and it just took me back to another situation um, just really briefly when I was teaching about the railroads and like the expansion of the railroads. And I remember like sketching out an entire train. And this is when I taught um, U.S. history in high school. And like the kids were with me and they sketched an entire train and they like, you know, wrote who owned the tracks at the bottom. And they just, I mean, it, did, it was so intricate and they were with me and their trains killed my train like <laughs> you know like I was like yo I thought I was doing something here and I looked at theirs and they was they were so magical but that in that one train they had so much information and they were able to like look at that train and be able to like you know study basically just based off a of picture because we included so much and I I don't think I've ever had that particular high school class that engaged ever except for that day when we were sketching the, the train so when you are bringing yourself into the classroom it feels great but when you're affirmed for your way of being and like you know it, it just I mean I think I beamed for the entire day and I was like thank you Edutopia thank you for doing the study and thank you for making it popular and you know, I mean it, it just it just felt good so you know so when I think about like my self-awareness I had to kind of it took me back to being a kid a little bit too even before the passion planner of like I like sketching I like drawing and then I kind of stopped and then it came back and now I'm like it's back and it's here to stay I don't want to lose that piece of me again. So do you have any questions or comments or follow-ups before you jump into your example? I think you hit that, that validation. You were thinking about a lot. Of, you hit a lot of the things I was thinking as you okay. transitioned into this. There is some magic involved in this, though, it feels like, in the classroom. And I don't know what I mean by magic, but it feels mystical or something. When your authentic self is there, you know it's your authentic self. You know your strengths are present and the students meet you. And that motivation and buy-in and like your best self and they're bringing like their best, like that's what I think like the art of teaching brings that kind of, I don't even know what to call it. It feels to me like magic, which may just be like a bad word, but I don't mean like it's a bad word, but I mean, it's not like the most maybe descriptive word or the most detailed word for it, but I don't know how else to describe it. That's why I like 
to be able to believe that as an educator, I don't just use science and good practices. There is a mixture of how I use that as an art in the work that I do. Absolutely. There is an art and there is, I think it's magic. I think it's like, it's energy almost that like takes place when like teacher, student and everyone's like agreed and is bringing their best selves. And like, it's like, it does feel magical. It feels like there's a the synergy in the classroom is like, and you can feel it when you walk in and someone walks in and you guys are so engaged. You don't even notice someone walked in the room. You're like, oh, oh when, when did you get here? They're like, We've been here. I'm like, when? How? Like, so I don't know. And but I yeah, so- say I felt that all the way from middle school all the way up to graduate school and in multiple settings, in public school settings, in private university setting, and in the prison. It travels. It's magical. All right. So it's my turn to give an example here of uh, self-awareness. The example that I have is one that relates to cultural patterns of communication. So Michelle and I met in Michigan that's where we're from. So some people call it the Rust Belt. I usually call that kind of the Midwest. And I never really noticed as much until I came to Northern California how much people in Michigan kind of have a communication style that's really straightforward and a little sassy and a little bit like, I got a union behind me. There really is this kind of like, <laughs> like I never knew that before I came here. So that's my communication style. And I moved to California about five years ago, not from Michigan. There's multiple places in between, but I lived in Michigan most of my life, taught in Michigan most of my life. And so I, you know, was in these, I came to Northern California and I was in these meetings as a community college professor, professors at all levels. A big part of our work is the college service, but it's a work we do, which really usually means committee work. And so we have meetings. I'm in these committee meetings the first year or two that I'm in Sacramento. And I'm noticing that sometimes when I talk, people like look shocked. They kind of tune out. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, I'm not understanding what's going on in these meetings. And then I start looking at like, well, I'm communicating. This is, it. I, I hypothesized it was a communication difference. So I started listening to the way other people were communicating. And I don't want to offend anyone in Northern California. I don't want to offend anyone in my community college district. I have experienced the communication patterns in my workplace to be kind of like nice. People kind of reserved, kind of talk around it, not a lot of directness, not always like I got a union behind me kind of way of communicating. So I realized we were really coming to the table in some two different communication patterns. It took me a year or two to figure this out. I could not figure out what was going on. And so I was like, all right, so I'm here. I'm seeing a different communication style than my own. What do I want to do about it? This is where I think the self-awareness piece comes in um, because I knew what my communication style was and I had to decide if I wanted to change that communication style. And I could have changed it, right? I could have altered it. That was a choice. I decided I didn't want to. I felt like that self-awareness and authenticity together are really important to me. So what I decided to do was in meetings now, I often say, so in case you don't know, I'm from the Midwest and we kind of, you know, frequently like have a real direct communication style. So I'm about to do one of those direct communication things. And I do notice that when I ease people into what I'm going to say, it is, I think, received a little better. And I also choose relationships outside of work or people at work that I want to talk to outside of work. I choose people that are comfortable with my direct communication style. So I don't have to do a lot of that stuff when I'm not at work. And 
I think this might be working. I'm not positive, but one, one dean said to me, he said, you know, Kalinda, once I get past your tone, you know, I'm realizing that you're really not advocating for yourself. You're really advocating for students. So I think that's interesting. I think that at least confirms that I am having a different communication style. And I'm hoping that my disclaimer is helping me still be able to be authentic and true to myself and kind of mitigate the cultural differences of communication in my workplace. Can I chime in? Yep. What I'm personally thinking about right now is when you name like this is going to be a little different, it allows, it kind of preps people for like, okay, this is something different and it's okay. And so I would like to say thank you for not adapting to those norms in that room and then like dropping our state and our, you know, way of speaking in the trash. You know, not a lot of people from the Midwest, you know, like we're, it's not really popular to be from the Midwest, you know, like people on the East Coast, West Coast, and I'm like, no, I'm from Michigan. I need to make that very clear. And they're like, Michigan, where is that even at? I'm like, okay, you know what? Don't, don't, don't. But I think it's like, there's so many different dialects in this country, just as far as speaking. There's so many different cultures in this country, and there's, there's so many different ways of being that it's important that we create space for all of them to exist and all of them to have like a place in professionalism, like in the professional, the professional arena, as we call it, or, you know, I just think that when we only accept one way of speaking, like even like you think about news broadcasts, right? You know, and usually all the anchors sound the same. And it's like, you're not even honoring the fact that you're speaking differently than 90% of the people who are watching this broadcast. So I think it's like when we stand up for, you know, our way of speaking, our way of being, our way of communicating, it's a way of saying it's okay to be different in a space. And, you know, one day you'll be able to just speak directly and then that will be the norm where people are just allowed to be in the space as they are. And I think it's a courtesy to announce it before you go for it, you know, but it's a courtesy that I don't think should be necessary forever, mm. you know, and hopefully through conversations like the ones we're having now, people will start seeing that it's okay to, to announce like, I'm going to do this differently or, you know, or show up and, um, and be self like and bring their authenticity and their self-awareness into a space so that's what you know i'm really that's my my takeaway you know oh you know i think i might have pressed on the gas a little bit there but i you know you know, what'd you say say it again i said that's cool we keep we'll just keep going okay okay i'll say yeah so you know that would be my takeaway so my wondering would be for us just as for for you and i like I think that we we are doing a great job of like having these conversations, but I really think that we may need to like start writing some of this stuff down. And like, if people can't listen to the entire episode, then they like go like, these are the enduring essentials for self-awareness. Boom, 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 boom. Where people have like a way to like access it beyond listening to it. Because I think that it captures, whenever I'm trying to learn something, sometimes I need to hear it. Sometimes I need to see it. Sometimes I need to like interact with it. So I like the fact that this episode, you know, you gave like some really good points about like for personally the adding the courtesy, the precursor to your speech or whatever you're going to say was important. And I think that, you know, those are good tidbits that just can be like quick hits that we can share with people in our descriptions of the episodes and things like that. So that's just my wondering. Like you're wondering if we can do some more work. I mean, no, I mean, not a lot, you know, just a little trans transcribing. I don't know. Leave me alone. All right. What's your, what's your, what's your takeaway? <laughs> no, you're good. I was just messing. I agree with you. My takeaway. So we don't just to let the listeners know, we don't always practice 
or even tell each other what our examples are going to be in any kind of detail. And then sometimes we go like, hey, can you tell me your example before I choose my example? So we actually did this example before we did the podcast. I'd shared with Michelle my example and she asked me a question. It really is both my takeaway and my wondering. And she did ask, if you weren't a white, I don't know exactly how she said it, but basically she said, if you were a black woman, would that have been accepted by your dean the same way? And this isn't about the individual dean. So if the dean who said that is listening, it's not about you. But it does make me think like in the larger way in which I was relatively easily able to adapt my communication style and I'm still not even clear if that adaptation has been effective. It doesn't have the intersectional component of not only regional cultural differences and gender cultural differences when I'm in meetings with men, but also the whiteness, my whiteness comes into the play. And how would that be different how would that be received in my community college district if I was, if one of my colleagues of color tried something similar? I'm not sure, but I do appreciate, I don't, I will continue to think about that. My tentative answers are not help, are not really affirmative that it would have been effective. But I do think that Michelle's larger vision, this was my takeaway. So I have my question first and then my takeaway today. Michelle's larger question about or a larger statement about what would this look like if we just had room for multiple cultural norms and communication in our colleges, in our universities, in our schools. So what that would mean is it would be tearing down dominant norms of communication. We would be really addressing white supremacy. That's what it would look like if we really let everybody's communication style come in the room. But I want to take it to another step and say, if this is a statement as opposed to a question, if we do not make space for multiple communications in the classroom, there are a lot of implications for students to be able to actually learn and communicate back to us what they are learning. And so this doesn't just impact us as educators in our own self-awareness, it's also how are students allowed to be their authentic selves and grow in self-awareness as they're developing as human beings. And if we do not make, I'm not asking that like a question. I think we know the answer. If you don't make room for it, part of students' authentic identity is booted from the classroom. So I'm not asking the question. I'm making the statement. And I'm also saying as a call out that we need to be making more space. We need to be making more space. Sounds like you are thinking about our intentional podcast for the future. And we're talking about like how to be intentional with your choices in your classroom. So yeah, I, I totally forgot about that question. Totally. But I appreciate you bringing it back up because this is real. Like there was a lot of like, yo, like there's a certain level of acceptance when things come out of white women's mouths that they come out of anyone else's mouth. It's a different story. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, yeah, just really quickly, we're just going to go ahead and let you know we appreciate you listening to us today and always. So please feel free to leave a comment or a suggestion about topics you would like to discuss in the future or any follow-up questions you have or comments about this particular episode. We welcome those. Um, during our next episode, we will continue our self-awareness series by talking about who we are as educators during COVID-19. We knew who we were before, but who are we now and who are we hoping to become? Also, if you haven't followed us on social media, you can follow us at Educators for Impact on Instagram and Facebook or follow us at edu for impact on Twitter. We would love to connect with you and we hope that you enjoyed this episode and we hope that you will continue to listen to us and learn more about the things and the topics that we're talking about. So thank you for your time and we hope you have a great day.